0: Hello and welcome to the show I'm Peter Whittle. Now before I introduce my guest this week just a note about an upcoming locals event which is happening this week it's on Tuesday 6th of February Tuesday 6th of February in the evening in Wellingborough so if you are in Wellingborough or roundabout there and want to join us please do it should be a very good evening our locals events are happening all over the country now I'm pleased to say it's a great success Um, Our speaker uh, on that evening is going to be Ben Habib who is deputy leader of the reform party he's standing in the Wellingborough by-election so it should be a very very uh, good evening he's a great speaker Ben Uh, so if you want to come uh, we can send you the details the venue and time Uh, please do write to locals at newcultureforum.org.uk and uh, we will send you all the details Now my guest this week was one of the very first actually to come on this channel five years ago, uh, Professor Eric Kaufman, Professor of Politics, um, also the author of a great book called White Shift amongst many others. Um, Welcome Eric, it's great to see you. Um, Great to be back. One of the the reasons I wanted to speak to you is because this is quite, I feel quite momentous, but you have created a course the only one so far at a western university uh which is looking at the subject of woke am i correct
1: you are correct you are correct and the course is, is launching imminently right uh it's an online course open to anybody in, in the world we and you can actually just subscribe to the lectures for only 80 pounds so it's something we're trying to make accessible to a lot of people right. um and yeah so what this course does is it it's just all i'm doing is i'm saying this is an ideology like any other. It's not the way it's presented in institutions, which is like, you, you must do this to be a good person. No, that is an ideology similar to any other ideology. So we're going to study it the way we'd study an ideology like fascism or communism or liberalism, empirically, dispassionately, but we're going to put it on the table and dissect it. And, and that's all that, that, that I'm doing. So what, how, what, how is the course, how, how
0: will the course be made up? Are there modules and things like that? So a long time. So, yeah, yeah,
1: it's, well, no, it's 15 weeks. Each week is um, uh, an, a lecture of maybe an hour to an hour and a half, plus some readings that are relevant to that week. Uh, it's in probably around four parts. So, you know, we, part one is really the intellectual history and origins of woke ideology. So where does it come from? And, you know, there are d- different DNA goes back to, uh, humanitarianism, liberalism, and egalitarianism, but those things then combine in different ways to become the cultural left by the 1960s, and then turning the dial further becomes something like, you know, more extreme. So, cancel culture and uh, knocking down statues and all erasing history and all that is part of the extremism that takes hold of this movement. So, the first part's really about intellectual history and origins. Then we look at public opinion, you know male female young old left right who are who supports this ideology how does it work in institutions and then moving into how it shapes elections the culture wars how are they moving uh, voters in many different countries and then finally we're going to look at the political philosophy behind it you know what are the arguments that people who are essentially woke make in favour of shutting down speech, for example, yeah. um, and then what are, the, what are the arguments against? So we're going to look also at the political philosophy. So
0: would you say that the political philosophy, I think it, from what you say there you would, uh, is in fact just a further development of hard left ideology or is it more than that?
1: Well. I think, and this is actually, I'm, I've got a book out in May called "Taboo," where one of my arguments is is that actually this is more about liberalism. In a way, it is about Marxism. You know, switching from class to identity as the category of of the oppressed. That you know, that's definitely going on. But what I, the, the point that I try to make is that actually, liberalism in its modern form, not classical liberalism, which values freedom of the individual, but modern liberalism, which is really about a mix of the left with liberalism. That's where we get the race taboo coming in in the mid-60s, the idea that this is a sacred category and racial minorities are sacred groups that you can't offend and almost you worship as spiritually and emotionally more, you know, deeper and higher that kind of outlook um, stems from that race taboo which is not something that was driven by the Marxist left. It was driven mm-hmm. by liberals yeah. and so and, and actually even the idea that you want to be that minorities are good and majorities are bad that's not necessarily a Marxist type of way of thinking but it's a no. liberal way of thinking yeah. that has become the dial's been turned up so a lot of what. What's, what we're living through is actually liberalism gone amok. So, for example, being sensitive to minority groups, uh, being understanding—that minority sensitivity dial's been twisted all the way. So now, anything—if you can't pronounce somebody's surname, that's racism. Or if you are—if skiing is, all, you know, got, got very few minorities in it, that's racism. So it's just an extreme spread of this idea of the taboo to more and more and more spheres of life. And that happens kind of in a ratchet. Uh, You know, we move from um, Negro to Black to African-American, back to Black again, all of these kinds of creeping. Mm. uh, And and similarly with Supreme Court decisions, uh, hostile environment if you have a sea of pinups then it's hostile environment if you're critical of Iran's supreme leader because that could be taken as Islamophobic. Mm. You see how all of this is creeping and the judicial decisions and the administrative decisions are always in one direction. And so it's not like they said we want to have a revolution. It's more that they're constantly pushing the sensitivity envelope and eventually it just gets crazy.
0: You see it's interesting, that's a much more nuanced take on it because mine would be that this is an attack, an outright attack, you know, um, right. on, on the very basis of our civilization. Um, and I suppose one has seen it as a form of Marxism, but I suppose the kind of Marxists I know, yeah. or former Marxists, don't have much truck with woke actually, I suppose. Right. I'm thinking of your Claire Foxes and your right. the <laughs> people who are all in that group, if they yes. are still Marxists. You're, yeah. Basically, you're saying it's actually just a complete mutation of liberalism.
1: Well, I think there's a convergence. So there's no question like Chris Rufo's book, uh, America's Cultural Revolution, he traces the very real linkages between the Black Panthers and, and black radicalism and BLM, for example, or you know, through people like Angela Davis, or Antifa related to the weather underground. And so there's no question there is a you know, hey, we couldn't do revolution on class, we're gonna do revolution on on race, you know, that exists. But my argument is that would have gotten nowhere. You know, why were universities hiring these people as professors in the 70s? You know, that wouldn't have happened unless there was a sympathy from the liberals who might not want to overthrow society, but they are constantly trying to be, you know, they feel guilty and they want to be nice. And so that bleeding heart element works very well with the radical element and right. so I guess I think the bleeding-heart element is more important in explaining why this has been so successful in its takeover.
0: This, uh, yeah. it, yes, because there is also a religious aspect to it, isn't it? A kind of, I am yeah. a good person yeah. and my opponent is actually therefore
1: kind of wicked. Right, and, and, and that stems from this very simple minorities positive, majorities negative yeah outlook, which is held not just by the cultural Marxists, but also by these modern left liberals. Wow. And that's why there's a, a harmony between the two. So I think Rufo gets the cultural Marxist picture right, but he's he's missing the story of why did a majority, 51% of Seattle voters, endorse defund the police. That's not, those are not all people who want to overthrow the system. A lot of them are just these bleeding heart types. Yeah. Uh, and so we have to look at those bleeding-heart liberal types. Um, I think they're the key to it. And
0: I think actually that's, that's quite interesting. I remember, you know, as far ago as the 80s, you know, mm. that Marxists had a particular contempt for liberals. Right. And they actually preferred discussing with conservatives because they knew where they stood, where the liberal would always sort of have this kind of slight guilt on their back, and would, they would never go against the hard left because they, some, somewhere in their subconscious they sort of felt that that's where they should really be, you know, <laughs> right, but they right. couldn't go that far. With, this, with the course, it's at the University of Buckingham, yes. isn't it? So yeah. the University of Buckingham
1: is like still Britain's only
0: private university,
1: isn't it? Or it's one of the very few, um, but what's interesting is it was founded as Britain's only private university, but now I think its new role as it sees itself increasingly is to be the only free speech university. Yeah out of 181 institutions in Britain the only non avowedly non progressive now it's still the case that most of the staff and students probably are leaning left but um, it's a more open climate and in the uh, you know the national student survey they were in the top they scored top in free speech so i think that's kind of it's trying to chart a different direction yes. and there's nothing like that in in britain the other thing i should say is that i'm you know in addition to this course i'm setting up a center which is launching um, late in February uh, where this is really a, re- a research center that will focus on asking the questions that are no longer being asked or pursuing the uh, theories that are no longer acceptable to, t- right. p- to pursue. So for example, um, if we're going to explain race or gender inequality, now it could be due to discrimination, but a proper uh, social science would say, well, we'll test the discrimination theory, but we'll also test other theories such as you know, what does the culture uh, of these groups, you know, what does it value? Does it value saving, book learning, et cetera, or yeah. not? Uh, you know, what is the average earnings of this group? Are they poor, are they rich? Re- so, so you're actually going to look at other factors besides discrimination to explain gaps uh, and test them out and see which one works. That, that would be a normal way to proceed, but of course, those alternative arguments are taboo you won't get published, uh, if you don't, uh, if, even if you don't get cancelled, you're not going to get published. So the, 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 the truth-seeking mission of the entire university is warped away from pursuit of truth to pursuit of truth as long as it is kosher, yeah. ideologically. So
0: this centre, yeah.
1: is this also going to be
0: at Buckingham? Yes, yes. Obviously. So there are going to be a lot of people watching now who would love to do your course, I'm sure. So it's open to everybody. absolutely yeah and and how would they uh, first of all when is it starting and and how would they apply
1: right so if you just go to my Twitter at the pinned tweet uh, there's a link there through to you just click on that and then you can choose one of three options uh, either just the lectures or the lectures plus seminar Um, we are starting imminently so don't don't delay uh imminently being well imminently being sort of next week you know Uh, but 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 what i'd also say is there we may actually have a a sort of another seminar session in march and the other thing i should say is that those who choose the lecture only option it's rolling there's no start date or end date because you just get access to the lectures and readings so it doesn't really matter when you sign up you can sign up anytime and this is done online it's all online it's all online Um, and right so um well unless you choose the if you want to do a master's degree option then that's conventional in person right. that starts next year however
0: oh i see okay. yeah
1: um and if people oh, excuse me if people are not on
0: twitter eric i know this sounds i'm, I'm <laughs> asking a lot how yeah how would they find out about it? because an awful lot of people are not on twitter
1: right okay so then you if you just probably google university of buckingham Uh, Woke, course on Woke, you'll probably Uh, find it that way, yeah. Oh, okay, (laughs) Um, I think it's just wonderful
0: what you're doing, I I mean, um, I just wanted to ask what sort of brought you to this point of of doing Uh, university, when I last spoke to you, when you were last in, um, and indeed of course you've spoken at our conferences too, you were at at Birkbeck, weren't you,
1: Yeah, so this is the reality of um, the mainstream university system in the 21st century is that there's a lot of pressures if you're critical of the orthodoxy. And so I was a critic of WOKE, you know, from about 2018 onwards. Mm. Um, And that got me the attention of the student union radicals, radical faculty and students, and even some alumni or people who claim to be alumni of, of our department you know so they there were complaints internal investigations twitter mobs open letters the whole you name it i, I experienced it for from about 2018 on until about 2022 it wasn't enough to push me out and i had good support from the free speech union so i wasn't worried about losing my job um, and actually the the you know places like ncf the fsu and others now provide pretty good pushback to some of this however It's still not ideal. I mean, you want to have a nice work environment where... Now, I didn't get along badly with my colleagues, but it's almost like there was an awkwardness injected by all this publicity. So they kind of didn't... They knew I was a bit radioactive, even though I'd known some of them for 20 years. Um, So it just makes it a little more difficult. Uh, And then I knew... I was aware of Buckingham's profile emerging under... The new uh, vc james tooley who's who's really a, an innovative uh oh, yes. force james yeah. yeah and so i kind of uh, you know i i had uh, been talking with james and then when you know birkbeck i decided to leave birkbeck and then um i began speaking to to, to buckingham and eventually we figured that yeah you know, and it's quite exciting because in a way it's an opportunity to build something different mm. because even though we've got the academic free speech bill which i've been involved with that can maybe protect you from getting fired, but what it doesn't protect you from is not getting hired, promoted, published, uh, you know, having a nice work environment and not being ostracized. None of that is included with this legislation. It can't be, because those are social processes. Mm-hmm. What you actually therefore need is viewpoint diversity within an institution, which means an institution which has a mix of different views. And Buckingham, at least in places, is aiming to have that, so that you'll have a place that conservative staff and students, for example, will feel comfortable, or anti-woke liberals even, will feel comfortable expressing views. Um, Because we know, I mean, in surveys, that about three quarters of, you know, between half and three quarters of conservative academics in the UK self-censor in research and teaching. Uh, student Students, it's not quite as high, but it's often a majority of conservative students self-censoring. So there isn't free debate, there isn't free inquiry, and what we're trying to do is create a space where we can have a more open discussion. Do you think that
0: the creation of these kinds of spaces, new universities actually in some ways, do you mm. think that that really is the only realistic way forward? Because when people say you need diversity of thought at universities, who could possibly disagree, I just can't see it happening. I mean, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <coughs> even if we have a free speech czar or something, yes. whatever we have, it's so embedded that I find myself going for this option of, you know what, just shut them down. You know, or, mm. I know that sounds crazy, but just yeah. it, they have, they're lost, you know, and the same thing is happening, obviously, we were talking about before we came on air, uh, in America as well, mm. you know, and what we saw, particularly during the um, uh, the it was a congressional committee, wasn't it? With the yes, heads yeah, of yes. Harvard and the various yeah. Ivy League, and what they were saying, just, you thought these, these places are are actually lost as seats of learning.
1: I mean, yes, think I think you're you're sadly, I think you're right. Um, the question is, what is the best way forward? Yes. Because certainly, the private institutions like Harvard and a lot of the Ivy League you know, they're still going to keep running, they've got huge endowments. Uh, The question is how best to uh, do you want to sort of try and cut funding, in which case, they'll just survive on student fees, I still think you'll have the top half of the system which influences the culture will still continue. Mm. And so I'm not sure that's the best approach, I would rather see more intrusive government regulation Mm. by obviously a right of center government, which is the only government that can do it. Yeah. Something like what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida, where there's an attempt to selectively defund carrot and stick your way into these universities. Um, so for example, Florida universities now are increasingly required to have centers that are non-progressive, that, right. that have an avowedly you know, pro-American history constitution, Western canon, all of that stuff. They have to set up these se- separate centers that are government-funded that are against the grain of the mainstream university. Mm. I think that's one way of inserting some intellectual diversity into the... Yeah. The other thing is cut, cutbacks on DEI, yeah. uh, de- defunding grievance studies programs, so incentivizing, cajoling. I think that's maybe the best strategy because I think if you cut funding all that'll happen is the wealthier 20 universities, top ones that influence the culture, mm. will survive and they'll just go all in. Well, they're already all in on woke, but you're not gonna damage the beast. Uh, whereas I'd rather see a much more concert, concerted attempt to really regulate them and really cajole them into uh, having more intellectual diversity. You said that you you know, you know,
0: had this kind of you know, complaints and pressure. It seems to me, uh, uh, you tell me if I'm wrong that they the, the complaints or the kind of you know sort of uh, hostility that might have been towards you was just simply because you looked at certain subjects not that even you were actually yeah. you know <laughs> proclaiming any particular view it was just even yeah. like uh, talking about demographics in
1: wide shift. Presumably, that is just a red rag to them, is it? Well, well, it's interesting because you pointed the book, but the, the the bottom line: they don't read books. I mean, most of these people who are making a noise don't spend any time really reading. So mm. that's not really what it is. It's all based on social media posts or media appearances, mm. Uh, mm. and it's all about criticizing, you know, criticizing quote unquote anti-racist or, you know, anti-LGBT so-called movements. Um, so for example, even something like retweeting Justin Trudeau on un- being unable to pronounce LGBTQ, stumbling over it a bunch of times, making fun of that, you know, <laughs> that's enough to get you in trouble. Uh, you know, make it, <coughs> any, anything critical of BLM. Yes. Uh, you know, these things, and they, they accumulate in your file, and, and they make stuff up. So I, I reviewed uh, Douglas Murray, and I, I think his book Madness of Crowds is somewhere here. Yeah. But I um, reviewed it in the Financial Times, and, and I used one of Douglas's phrases, he talked about slaying the dragon that's that's no longer there and waving your sword in the air. Yeah. Uh, these activist groups have, have no real discrimination to combat anymore. Yeah. And I used that phrase and they claimed that I really meant to kill um, a, a member of staff. And oh. so they were... <laughs> yeah. that, that that was my subliminal meaning. Yeah. This is the kind of level that, that yeah. these hearings were, were stooping to because you know, the, the very leadership of the university actually is was fine at Birkbeck, you know, uh, but it's the people who, in, who have small positions of power who run a hearing, for example, yeah, and that's yeah. the kind of person who volunteers for that is going to be someone who really believes in DEI and, and cancel culture. So you're getting that kind of person running these kangaroo courts and, and they'll just throw anything at you, right? Yeah. And, and this is supposed to be an official investigation, right? Uh, it's, it's quite funny. Uh, yeah. but I mean, sort of quite funny. Well not yeah, funny when you're in it! No no, no, no I was going yeah. to say
0: because the thing is I suppose you wouldn't have done but I don't mm. recall during that period of eight, uh, 2018 up to now what so six, yeah. six years? five six years um, you always, you've got a very positive and cheery demeanour so <laughs> Thanks saying, right? um,
1: never heard you complain or anything about it but it must,
0: I mean what was it like living under that? Earth?
1: yeah it's very unpleasant and it's always on your mind you know when you get that email that first email that says there's been a complaint against you violation of section whatever policy and work and study please report to here Mm. you know blah 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 all this official stuff and and we'll decide what your fate is you know so they always leave it hanging and they know that you know person's mind goes immediately to oh will i be fired yeah. And, and of course, in academia, once you're out, out you can't get back in, basically. Yeah. And you certainly can't get back in anywhere near where you want to live or in the place you want to teach, but probably you're toxic anyway. Yeah. Um, so they have an enormous amount of power. And, yeah, you you, you start worrying and fretting. And, uh, and then, of course, you go through these hearings, and it's all very much about... And they yeah. always... Well, they'll often find you guilty, but then the, the punishment will be unspecified so that they keep you kind of hanging yes it's all it's it's sort of that game they know they probably you know probably they can't legally fire you but they kind of want to scare the hell out of you and get you to to kowtow so that's kind of the game by by not
0: basically for example maybe tweeting or not saying things on social media or not doing media of any sort that's the kind of thing
1: exactly they they want you to shut up on on media and um not to um you know make anybody feel offended mm. uh, especially of these groups that are you know mm. named in these policies on, or on what is quote-unquote harassment you know you can set off flares uh, when Kathleen stock comes to the university that's fine but but boy you better not tweet anything that might mm. offend one of these mm. uh, you know, so this is sort of the and of course the problem is the universities have been pushed by activist staff into mm. adopting into signing up to the race equality charter and Athena Swan and uh, were friendly to refugees. All all these kinds of covenants and and uh, kite marks that they sign up to and statements that, you know, we are an open inclusive university. And then the activists will use that against them when they don't cancel people. Oh, you 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 signed up to this, and here's yeah, somebody saying yeah. that, and he's going against what you signed up for. So you've got to discipline him. Yes. Uh, you know. So so in a way, they've provided the ammunition already to the university to then cancel somebody and, and so it's just this big ratchet where they're all working in combination to try and create uh, this environment the only thing i will say is i do think that some of the energy behind the cancel culture movement seems s- seems to have ebbed a little bit since about 2021 right. not gone away by any stretch but some of the boldness has has de- declined you have to do more now for them to to work up a mob against you, I think that is there used to be the case. The you know? only thing that would worry me slightly there
0: is—is it, is it because they think they've kind of won? You know, that often yeah. when when people think that that's it, we've won, we are in position. They can afford to be slightly magnanimous or just sl- slightly more tolerant. You know, uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm being.
1: Um, your book coming
0: out? You said taboos. Yeah, it's, it's called a taboo. Great
1: title. Yeah, taboo. Um, How Making Race Sacred Led to a Cultural Revolution, that's the title. How
0: Making Race Sacred Led to a Cultural Revolution, that's what I said. Speaking of which, I mean, you know, this book was basically looking at demographics, particularly uh, in white majority countries, wasn't it? And the general drift of the book was that, well, they're going to end up not white majority countries. Uh, it was going, well, what, how, what do we do about that, or, or do we do anything about that? Um, I just was struck yesterday by these new statistics, and this coming out for Britain, from the Office of National Statistics, saying that our population in this country is going to go up by over 6 million by, I think it is, 2036 or something. And that something like between t- 2021 and 2036, it would have been something like 13 million or something new people or something like that. Right. These are astonishing figures, are they not? I mean, when you wrote this about six years ago? Yes, five, 2018. Ago. Yeah. So are things going pretty much as you say they would?
1: Well, yes, because I mean, the, the, the book really is was in two, two parts. The most of the book was about the rise of populism mm-hmm. and what lay behind it. Uh, The populist moment, 2014, we see UKIP, National Front uh, in France, uh, Danish People's Party hitting about 30% of the Mm -hmm. European uh, election vote. Then we had Trump, then we had Brexit, then we had, uh, or the rise of Trump to become a leader in the primaries. Then the US and British, uh, the the Brexit vote, the US election. And then after that, Salvini and these other European uh, populists doing better and better. AFD, Sweden Democrats, etc. Then we had, okay, so that was the book, came out in 2018 before the pandemic. Pandemic hits, 2019. And that takes some of the steam out of the rise of populism. Mm. Immigration drops because of the pandemic. A few years, the things kind of, the technocrats, you need technocrats perhaps to manage a pandemic. Yeah. And then mm. we're out of it. And now we're ex- right back where we were even more so in 2014 with the populist moment. So, what I'm seeing now is a replay, but even more so. Mm. So, we are going to see the populist right do even better than they did in 2014, say in the European elections. Uh, Le Pen may get in in France, Trump's looking on course to win, perhaps. Looks to be I the think case. slightly
0: now, actually, Sorry? It?
1: I think it looks rather
0: likely. Yeah, he's in a stronger yeah. position,
1: certainly in the polls, than prior to 2016 when he won. Mm. And there are a number of reasons why I think he's more likely to win. Uh, and of course, so, so we have this this dynamic now, and immigration has been very high again. Post pandemic shoots up in Australia, in Canada, in Britain. In, you know, so it's gone, gone up in many places. And that's really what's behind the. Uh, the rise of populism, I and mean, that was the point in the book, is yeah. migration numbers drive the pr- salience of immigration, which drives populist voting. Mm. And so it is exactly the same thing as what I wrote about in 2018. And the question is going to be how the kind of elite reacts. So they sort of doubled down and said, no, these people are terrible and they're deplorable and uh, no, we just have to stick to the formula, mm. uh, we're going to ostracize them, we're going to, of course, that actually." makes only makes people more popular. Um, and now the question is what they do this time around. So for example, you're, let's say in the European elections, the, the populist right, some are arguing that the scale of their, depending on how big their vote is, they may be able to take over certain key positions and change policies. And I know there's already talk now that they will be more organized. Mm-hmm in dismantling and changing certain EU policies. So what's going to be the impact on the EU of this vote? Number one, what is the uh, what, are, what is the American mainstream media going to do in reaction to Trump's getting into office, for example? Uh, are we going to see the same Trump derangement syndrome, the same kind of resistance? You know, that's a big question. We don't know what their response is going to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, ha- I remember talking to... Uh, an American kind of left-wing but sane left-wing journalist who sort of said, "We need Trump to win again so that these people realize that the what they can't keep going the way they've been going right, with yeah. with the woke agenda. and yeah. And so, for example, Biden, the woke agenda means that he can't control the border means that, you know the scenes we had of them. Cutting open the razor wire that the Texas uh, yeah. border authorities had put up to keep the migrants out, and all these migrants scream, streaming in—all these images—you uh, know—that's going to contribute to Biden being defeated. And that hopefully, that will then concentrate the saner minds on the left to say, "We've got to get—we've got to get control of these activists and put them back in their box."
0: Yes, it is quite extraordinary. Yeah. Some of the stuff that the. Biden has come out with. I mean, when you have a president, a couple of years ago now, was it, saying that the biggest problem our country faces is that of white supremacy. Right. (laughs) He actually said that. Whatever your view on that, to actually say that about your own country as the president um, was quite, quite extraordinary. And I thought despicable, actually. But were you surprised, for example, to see the uh, election of Gert Wilders? in uh, uh,
1: Not really, mm-hmm. I mean, because, yes, Wilders, you know, there is a certain volatility in populist right politics where certain parties will rise and fall quite quickly. Mm. You know, when there's a new brand, so Thierry Bodick came in with a new party that suddenly became flavor of the month, then the Farmers Party came in and collapsed. But, uh, but really what that's showing is that there is a strong reservoir of support for somebody who's going to articulate a message of defending the nation, restricting immigration. Immigration is the absolute key issue. Mm. Immigration has been going up across Europe. There have been more crossings of the Mediterranean. Just as there have been more crossings in Britain, there have been more crossings in America. So in all of these cases, post-pandemic, there's been this surge and the reaction to that has been discontent, which Mm. populists are, are poised to tackle. The other thing, too, is the more the economy drops out of the news, the more inflation drops, Yes, the more space there is for cultural issues like migration and the culture wars to rise. So just prior to the populist wave in 2014, 15, 16, concern about the economy had been falling post the financial crisis. So actually, when people are not worried about pandemic and as worried about the economy, there's more room to return to the cultural issues that drive right. populism. Right, uh, all
0: those countries you go through, One glaring omission is this one (laughs) in that we we appear and i think this might be one of the reasons why there is such a kind of level of frustration and anger we appear to have no kind of opposition to any of this oh we oppose it and (laughs) groups do and you do and there are lots of us who oppose it but in terms of politics there seems to be no real to say that reform whatever you think of them is a kind of populist party I think it's really to misread it actually, I mean, not right. in the way that you're, you're okay. meaning. I think. I mean, what, what, what would you say has to happen here? I mean, it's got to basically, hasn't it, be a complete change of the electoral system, but that's not going to come for quite a while. So what do people do who, who feel, you know, this level of frustration and passion that they would do voting for Trump in America or for Marina mm. Penn? What do they do?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I suppose reform has been benefiting to some degree. There some of the polls have had them as high as thirteen percent, which is nothing to sneeze at, you know. Oh, yeah. Um and, yeah. and so that is one vector, but you're right that reform in many ways is emphasizing too many issues and some many of which are not resonating. Um, they should be probably focusing more squarely on migration. Absolutely. And talk about it all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's also, you know, I'm just looking at other places. So Germany elected a a center-left government and then very quickly their popularity cratered. Mm -hmm. And now the AFD and more uh, immigration restrictionist uh, left-wing, a new left-wing party Mm -hmm. has emerged. And so one possible scenario is labor gets in, you know, migration remains high, a year in people maybe have, had been pinning certain hopes on Starmer. A, a year in, his popularity collapses. Now, that, now, that's, I think, probably the most likely scenario. The other thing I should... And, and so this discontent around uh, the cultural stuff, the migration, will eventually uh, be pinned on Starmer. Right now, yeah. all the Tories are the, are the target for all discontent. And so labor's getting off very light. Once labor's in, it will attract more of this discontent. And so then there will be more... Opportunities. Now, the question will be what's going to. So, if we just look at the right side of the political map, the Tories have totally discredited themselves by essentially taking an interpretation of Brexit, which was the global Britain interpretation, mm. rather than what most voters wanted, which was sort of reduction of migration mm. as the central motive for Brexit. Um, so, the question then is is it a rev- revived reform under a Farage figure? That it, it may be that Farage comes in, or somebody comes in, in in reform that is perhaps more charismatic than Tice, threatens to usurp the Conservative Party, because at 13%, yeah. with the Tories down yeah. around 20 it's yeah. not much further before their level pegging. Yeah. Um, that hopefully then leads within the Tory party to the National Conservative Faction yeah. taking over and eventually, eventually pushing out, or at least minimizing the impact of the Tory wets who are currently in control of the party. And, and so you, there are all these kind of complicated dynamics, but I think really people need to be sort of focusing on right now, probably reform or sending a signal that yes. they don't like the kind of liberal conservative direction that's dominant in the Tory party. And, and of course, when they lose, which is almost certain, there will be this postmortem and the battle will be, oh, well, we lost because we were too restrictionist or we were too liberal. Uh, the Liberals will be saying, oh, it, you, t- you sound too restrictionist, and you chased away those centrist voters who would have voted for us, mm-hmm. which is nonsense, and we know mm-hmm. from the uh, analysis is nonsense. And so they'll want to keep the party and ev- even move it to the left. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you'll have the Natcons and you know the John Hayes and Miriam Cates and Danny Kruegers who will be wanting to move it towards really where the voters are. Um, and I guess the question is, what's going to be the outcome of that Tory civil war? I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. Oh.
0: I think probably what happens after the election is yeah. going to be the most exciting thing as opposed to what happens before because, you know, if the Tory party is a there's a one outside chance of course, that what could happen is what happened in Canada, your country, which is where basically the, the Conservative Party was left with about two seats, wasn't it? Right Or something ridiculous in yeah. 1993, wasn't it? And It was called Reform, wasn't it? Yes, reform the Reform
1: Party. party. And that was with the, that was with first-past-the-post, wasn't it? Yes.
0: That's extraordinary, isn't it? It is,
1: but there's a difference in the sense that the Reform Party in Canada was, had a Western base, and so it could win seats in a way that the Reform Party in Britain is just across the entire country, Mm. a certain percentage of people voting reform. So it doesn't have as much of a regional concentration. It was very much a Western movement. Right. Um, And, I mean, it was also more conservative more conservative economically than the mm. kind of progressive conservatives as they were called. So it's not a perfect analogy, but yes, the, the, the ruling party was decimated down to two seats, so a complete wipeout. Mm. I don't see that level of wipeout happening here. Uh, but I, It's certainly possible, but I don't see it quite that bad. But I think it's Aye. more going to be still this battle for the soul of the conservatives. If you think of the Republicans, Prior to Trump, they were all about quite high immigration, low tax. That was, and foreign policy, you know, democracy promotion in Iraq and bla- that's their brand of conservatism. That was backed by the donors, the the country club Republican class, the the Bush brothers, etc. Uh, then you had Trump come in, the Tea Party, and Trump, and they managed to take over the party, mm-hmm. and overthrow the kind of more liberal conservative establishment. Mm-hmm. That that hasn't happened here. Mm -hmm. even though the voters here like there it's a more working class more populist nationalist voter that's voting for the right but the leadership in the u.s has pivoted and looks more like its voters were here it's still the old as if we're in the 1970s and 80s -hmm. and that is really the the change that needs to happen Mm -hmm. for the system to readjust to the new uh, voting base of the Conservatives. The 2019 voter is not the 1980 voter, for example.
0: No, what a missed opportunity though. Mm. I mean that's the 20, you know, what happened in yeah, 2019. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, well a lot of the Tories in the Tory party I think should certainly go on your course. <laughs> they need to learn about it because I'm, I'm often shocked by their kind of general ignorance. Yes. Of going on. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Complacency. But Eric, thank you so much. I mean, if you would stay with us just because I have a few yeah. questions for, for our members, our exclusive members, but um, what I'll say in the, in the meantime is that um, if people are interested in your course, we will put under this video um, where people should go um, and basically mm-hmm. to sign up or find out more. Um, all the very, very best with it. Thank you very, very much, Eric.
1: Thank Thanks, Peter. It's been a pleasure.
0: Um, so uh, that's it for this week and uh, I shall see you next week. In the meantime, have a good time with really. you. Good week. Bye bye. Bye. Hello, if you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as three pounds per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.